from this morning from the book of Luke, the 11th chapter. Now Jesus was praying and took flight and going through the closing of the century. Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. For anyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Luke chapter 11. I'm sure you recognize the passage this morning. The Lord's Prayer. Some people call it the Disciples' Prayer. It's not a prayer. Uh, it's a, it is the Lord's Prayer in the sense that he taught it. Uh, but uh, he did not need to pray, forgive us our sins. He had not sinned. Uh, so whatever you want to call it, you can call it the Lord's Prayer, you can call it the Disciples' Prayer, call it the prayer that Jesus taught. The last time, I'm sure you remember this, uh, I can't remember the exact Sunday, but it was in 2013. And... Uh, we were looking at this passage in Matthew, where Matthew deals with the Lord's Prayer. And I preached through the entire prayer that morning uh, and covering it in one message. We're not going to do that this time. We're going to look at this prayer word by word and line by line during the next few weeks. Uh, I have a special reason for wanting to do this. It will become obvious to you as, as we go through this process. The prayer itself only takes up the first uh, three or four verses. We read through verse 13. The illustrative stories, parables, or verses that come after that are a commentary 
or an explanation on the prayer itself. You'll see that this morning. At the conclusion of the message, in fact, the last part of the message will be an introduction to the Lord's table. Uh, If you're visiting with us this morning, you need to know that this is not a Presbyterian table. This table belongs to Jesus Christ. He was the one who said it. So if you own him as your Savior, if you know that you have no other plea, you're a sinner with no other plea, except that Jesus died for you. If that's your faith, if that's your profession, and you own him as your Savior and Lord, just as you've prayed with us, just as you have sung with us, you come to this table with us. It's a table for sinners. If you are not a Christian, if that's not your claim, uh, and we have people here every week that are looking to honest for honest answers to honest questions, We're glad you're here, and we invite you as we partake of the Lord's table to watch and listen and learn. And I would pray for you, and I would ask you to pray for yourself that the Lord would make this table precious to you. Uh, Say that unapologetically. Uh, We pray uh, that through this entire service, that you would be drawn to understand that Jesus himself was indeed the Son of God and Son of Man, the Savior for sinners. Before we look at this wonderful passage, let's pray and ask Jesus who spoke these words originally, ask him to speak them to us this morning. Father, as always, We bow before you and we pray, Father, as priests, a congregation of priests, a whole congregation of priests, we pray for those in our midst, for our brothers and sisters, for our neighbors, for members of our family who are hurting, who are in need. Our Father, we pray especially this morning for uh, Billy Griggs. We pray that you would strengthen his body, strengthen his mind. Give him a strong spirit in Christ for these days. We pray for Jim Bennington that you'll continue to sustain his health and give him strength. Father, we thank you for his testimony in our midst, for his faithfulness. We pray for Priscilla Turner and Janet Sartell and the battles that they are waging in their lives. We pray that you would give them strength. Bring healing. Father, you have brought healing to their bodies. We've seen it. Father, we pray most of all that you would draw them close to yourself, that they would look forward with anticipation Our Father, bless all of us together that we would live without fear. We pray that in this place, in this church, death would not have a foothold. And we pray that we would literally be a people without fear of death. 
For, Father, Christ is risen. And to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Cause us to be a people that live in anticipation. Father, I pray this for John Sartell. I pray that, Father, we'd be a people who encourage the world around us. Our Father, we ask now that you would teach us Now, Father, it is a reality that John Sartell cannot teach or preach so that it will make any difference in our lives this morning. Only you're able to do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we pray in these next few minutes that all of us, even this speaker, we pray would hear your voice in our hearts. Father, teach us, change us, grow us, change us. Maybe some of us for the first time. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Jesus, teach me to speak to God. How many times have you thought, I wish I'd been there with Jesus, with those 12 disciples. There are so many questions I've wanted to ask him. Think about that. I've wanted to ask him questions about creation. I've wanted to ask him questions about heaven. But the request made in the scene before us this morning by one of the disciples, that would have been one of the best requests any of us could have made. One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. What we have in the passage before us, think about it, is the answer that Jesus would have given you if you would have asked him. In fact, he's present this morning. And if we ask him, Jesus, teach us to speak to God. Teach us what to say. Jesus would have said these exact words. How does Jesus tell us then to address God? When you pray, say, Father. What's the first word of our prayer? Father. The term denotes an intimate relationship. He did not say to us, think about it. He did not say to us, say, Almighty God. He did not tell us to say, creating God. He did not tell us to say, Lord. Is it wrong to say those terms in speaking to God? No, of course not. But those terms do not. Almighty God does not denote relationship. Lord does not denote relationship. Not a relationship of intimacy. When you pray, Say, Father. You know how radical 
those, that word was to the disciples. They had not heard anything like that. In the Old Testament, God is, as, is, is referenced as father only seven times. Think about it. From Genesis to Malachi, the great opus of the Old Testament, seven times God is reverenced or, or referenced as father. And then it's like he was father of the nation. Who is father of the United States? George Washington. George Washington, the father of this country. That doesn't denote an intimate relationship, does it? It's that the founder, the beginning. Old Testament scholars teach that no Old Testament saint would have addressed God as my father. No group would have prayed our father who art in heaven. This, when he said, begin your prayer by saying, father. Peter turns it, what? The disciples, this was strange to them. Every prayer Jesus prayed in the Gospels, except one, every prayer that Jesus prays, he begins with Father. Think about that. What an example. Every prayer Jesus prayed, he began, Father. All except one. Do you know what prayer that was? Do you know what prayer it was? What is the one prayer he prayed that he didn't begin with Father? It was on the cross. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was being ripped under the judgment, under the wrath of God. He was being ripped from that embassy. Because our sin, our crimes, our punishment, our guilt had fallen on him. He was under the judgment of God. But other than that one time, Sixty times Jesus used the term Father in reference to God. The New Testament was written in Greek. Just as English is the universal language of the world today, it's used more than any other language in the world. Greek was the universal language in Jesus' day. In his everyday life, in Nazareth, he would have spoken Aramaic, the language of Palestine. So Jesus was familiar with Greek. He was familiar with, with, with Aramaic. The Greek word, the New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word used here for father is just a common word. If you would have been living in Athens in that day and you would have called your father by, uh, by that word, by that term, you would have said pater, pater, father. Jesus probably used the Aramaic word Abba. It was the common word term that Jewish children used for their father. That's what Jesus was saying. Call him pater, call him Abba, father. Look at Mark 14, 36. Abba, 
Father. This is Jesus in Gethsemane. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Abba, the actual term, Aramaic, for father, pater. Father, father, he said. Think about it. This is incredible. Jesus, the son of God, is telling us to address God in the same way he does. Father. Jesus is saying, you can't call him by a better name. Now, we don't use this term, Father, denoting that he's our creator. Jesus was saying to his disciples, your prayers should reflect the wonderful and unique, unique relationship you have with God. You have been born all over again by the power of God. Look at your scripture sheet in John 1, 12. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right. You see that he gave the right to become what? The children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. An inward, real, subjective transformation wrought by God in the heart of the individual. No, you don't call him father because he created you. You call him father because you have been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. In most of our homes, this is precious. In most of our homes, there would be a certain offense if you went home this afternoon and called your mom and dad or your father or mother something different than mom and dad or father or mother. It is a turn of the utmost intimacy. Our parents want us to call them dad and mom, father and mother. What were the first words? What were the first words we taught our children? Every single one of us. Mama, daddy. Most of you know that I have a really, really, Competitive, strong, competitive nature. Uh, I do not lose well. And so when Jill was born, I wanted her to say my name first. Daddy, Dada, whatever. I wanted to be first. But I became aware that my sweet wife was at home. Nursing her, nurturing her, feeding her all day long. And she was saying, Mama, Mama. People, that's what we do, isn't it? It's not, not what we do. 
That was what Jesus was doing. He was teaching his younger siblings their first words of prayer. You called him father. Call him Abba. That's what he likes for you to call him. Do you delight in your children calling you father, mother, mom, or dad? So does God. So does God. That's the scripture. That's the gospel. When my siblings, I've told you this before, when my siblings began to have grandchildren, my older brother Preston, my older sister Pat, they were several years older, and so they were having children before I did. And their children, mom and dad's grandchildren, started calling my mom and dad, Mom Mary and Pop. Her name was Mary Ellen. Mom Mary and Pop. Soon, I, I was astounded. And it will forget the first time I heard my brother call my dad Pop or my mom, Mom Mary. I was astounded. My siblings began to call my mom and dad by those names that the grandchildren used. I never did. I wasn't a grandchild. I loved calling them mom and dad. I was one of their five children. It was an honor that only four other people had in the world to call them that. Just so. If we did not call God Father, in a way, it's an offense. Did he not go to great lengths to give us that privilege? Why would we not acknowledge that intimate relationship in our conversation with him? The term father denotes an intimate relationship. Secondly, the term father denotes a privileged relationship. As I told you, the instructions, the words, the parables that come after the Lord's Prayer are comment on the Lord's Prayer. They're not to be taken separately from the Lord's Prayer. Look at Luke 11, 11. What father, notice, circle it. What father among you, goes back to the first word of the prayer, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What is the basis for your asking? The pledge, the promise of a father. The fatherhood of God is the basis for your expectation of God's benevolence. He's your father. When I became a parent, I gained insight into my mother and father that I had never realized previously. When I was growing up, I thought my parents loved, they lived to say no to me. Now, I have to say I understand that because I was not easy and I walked along the edge much more than my siblings did. And I needed to be told no. But I thought parents 
were at their very best reluctant givers. When my children were born, I was astounded. I actually called my mother and father and said, I know something that I didn't know before Jill was born. They said, what is it? I said, you guys really wanted to give to me. They said, what do you mean? I said, I always thought you wanted to say no. And I said, if I had known then what I know now, I would have asked you for a lot more. Is that not true? Young people understand this today. Understand this today about your home. Your parents want to give you things. Want to. They love to give to you. Jesus was saying the basis for your prayers is the benevolent fatherhood of God. You ask him because he's your father. Several years ago, I read the history of J. Wilbur Chapman. You probably do not know that name. He was a Presbyterian evangelist who was known all over the world. He was as famous as Billy Graham. He just didn't live in our day. He died in 1918. In one particular meeting, a man came to Chapman and told him a remarkable story about himself. As a young man, he had been a disappointment to himself and his family. Pride, he had been a failure, and pride just would not allow him to go back home. For years, he wandered the streets in the cities all over the eastern part of the United States. Finally, after 17 years, he ended up at the Pennsylvania Depot in Philadelphia, begging around that depot. He was homeless. He did that for a year. One day, he touched a man's shoulder and ask for a dime. The man turned around, and immediately the beggar recognized that this was his own father. He was overcome. And he, he just stammered the words, I'm your son. The father grabbed him. And started laughing and crying. Hugged him, hugged him, put him in his car, took, took him home, cleaned him up, put a new suit on him. He told him. I have been looking for you for 18 years to give you all I have. People were so much like that son. He didn't realize what a father he had. I can tell you in this room, we don't realize what a father we have. We just don't. 
We go to God forgetting he's our father, forgetting we are heirs. We ask him for a dime when he's prepared to give us oh, so much more. Look at Romans 8.17. This is the teaching of the gospel. Now, if we are children, if we are children, meaning if we're God's children, then we are what? Say it with me. Heirs. Heirs and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, we sh- if we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Wow. Go. Call him father. The term father denotes an intimate relationship. The term father denotes a privileged relationship. Finally, thirdly, we're under a divine imperative to call him father. This is no small thing. Jesus, look at Luke 11.2 one more time. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Who's speaking? Jesus. Who's Jesus? The Son of God. The second person of the Trinity. The Son of God is commanding us to call him Father, to call God Father when we speak to him. But there's more. Look at Romans 8.15. So you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit, capital S, the Holy Spirit of adoption as sons. By whom? By the spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, echoes the command given by Christ. You call him father because you are his child by rebirth. What did he say? The spirit of adoption? It's not only we're born. Those are two separate things. We're born into his family, but we're also adopted. Look at that verse again. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. It seems redundant, doesn't it? I think this is what Jesus said. I think this is what was being said in John 1.12. Go back to the scripture we read just a few moments ago. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave, he didn't just say that he gave them to become children. He said he gave them the right. That speaks of legality. We're not only been born of God, we have been adopted. You have Jesus, the Son of God. You have the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity saying, listen, you call him Father. Your own heart cries out, Father. The Spirit cries out, Father, within you. Adoption is a legal act of taking someone into your family and granting him or her the legal rights of a son or daughter. A few years ago, uh, a couple who were friends to Janet and me took a young lady from halfway around the world into their home. She was in college. She lived with them for several years, and they came to think of her as their daughter. 
She came to think of them as her parents. After several years, they adopted her. That adoption gave her the legal status that their other children had. Yeah, you can imagine. They had other children. This caused some consternation in their family. This young lady, though she had no DNA from either parent, had the legal rights of a son or daughter. People, God has not only richly blessed us, that were born again by the Spirit of God and His family. But on top of that, we're adopted. We are twice His children. This is a divine imperative to call. Do you see how important this is? I think we, we, we might want to say, it would be better if we called Him Almighty God. Omniscient. Omnipotent God. And string together these phrases. And here's God saying, no. Call me Father. Call me Father. Why should we pray? Why should we pray? Why? Why, why do we pray? Most all of us pray when we get in trouble, don't we? What if you only spoke to your wife or your husband or your parents when you were in trouble? What's that's the only time you spoke? Most of us pray when we need something. What if you only spoke to your wife or husband or parents when you needed something? Why do we speak to our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents? Because we love them. They're the closest relationships. We have. What am I saying? Our basis for talking to our husbands, our wives, our children, our parents is not external need. It is an internal love. It's an internal relationship. That's the basis for our conversations. Many of you in this room have family members that have gone home to be with the Lord. You had major adjustments to make because you could no longer speak to them. They were no longer present with you. I, I once asked a wife whose husband had died several years earlier. I said, when he, when he went home to be with the Lord, how did you handle his absence? She laughed and she said, I walked around the house talking to him all night. She said, I talked to him in the car. I went to his grave and I talked to him. <laughs> we were both laughing. And I said, well, did he answer you? And she said, no. If he had, it would have scared me to death. I said, why did you talk to him? She said, because I loved him and I missed him. Why does God want us to talk to him? Does he need your advice? Hardly. You can't cancel the Lord. Does he just want to hear us from us when we're in trouble? You know, sometimes we're talking to him and, and 
we're talking to him and we think we're wasting his time because there's not any really great need. Does he want to hear from us just when we're in trouble, just when we're in need? Does he want us to speak with him because he's lonely? It's impossible for God to be lonely. He desires us to speak to him. Get this. Walk out of here knowing this. He desires us to speak to him first and foremost because he is our father and he loves us. I can think of no greater reason to pray than that you have a father, I have a father, who loves you more than anyone else has ever loved you. Listen to this sentence. We're done. God demonstrates from Romans. God demonstrates his love for us. I want you to add something to that. God demonstrates his love for us as a father in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your fathers and your mothers, my father and my mother, couldn't come close to doing for me and for you what God did. My earthly father and my earthly mother could not come near loving me like he does. The father gave his only son. He gave his only son to bring many sons to glory. We look at him and we say, he's God. He's my father. He looks at us. And he says, they, those people at Christ Presbyterian, they're my children. He looks at you and he says, he or she is my child. When you pray, say, Father. And that brings us to the table. Our hymn, the first words of it. How deep the Father's love for us.